everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Uh, and joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Badwater. How you doing? Well, every day is a Monday, especially Monday. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, doing pretty well. Uh, everything, um, everything taken into account. Kind of new at this, so uh, it'll be an, an exploration of how this goes. Uh, well, it is, as you say, Monday. Uh, it has been a couple of days since both the men's and women's uh, basketball teams were eliminated from postseason play. Uh, you've had 48 hours to cool down. Uh, thoughts on how Saturday went? Uh, yeah, and... You know, when we think about um, cooling down from the emotion of you know, post-game losses, it was uh, there was some levity uh, applied yesterday when we saw uh, as many upsets as as we saw on uh, the men's and women's side in the, the NCAA tournament. And you know what what we feel is what. Um, yep, 63 other teams are going to feel. Uh, or that's true. Or 32, uh, as it were. Everybody gets knocked out at some point, um, except for the champions, and even them, you know, I, I think I, I think I saw a stat that said, you know, the most champions don't even make it back to the Sweet 16 the next year, so even that is fleeting. Um, the uh, you know this is the time of year when we do sort of wrap ups about how the season went. Uh, Adam on the site uh, this today you know posted a write up about how the the men's side never really seemed to gel. You know I, I think that was probably appropriate. Uh, you know that that was about the same take as I had. Um, you know the you know, the Altman magic seems to be that things come together, you know, in, in February and March, you know, that the guys who are with the program get more playing time. The guys who are not with the program don't. Um, and, you know, combine that with, you know, whatever was up with Will Richardson, apparently mononucleosis of all things, you know, pl- I, I, and I can't imagine taking that hit at USC um, was great for him. It was probably a little disruptive. I don't know. I, uh, sticking with the men just for a, a minute before we switch over to the women, like, uh, this didn't really shake me. I mean, Dan Altman yet again won 20 games. Um, you know, he did it with a talented team, but with, you know, a lot of guys that he didn't have a whole ton of time to work with. And, you know, you're going to hit some bumps in the road along the way. I'm sure that the team will be, you know, right back in action uh, uh, next year. And, uh, you know, I remember a time in which, you know, winning 20 games for the Ducks was a reason for celebration, not, you know, uh, a crying in your beer. That's basically how I feel about the men's side. How do you feel about it? Well, I would uh, agree with you all the way around. I think that um, lack of communication notwithstanding, um, you know, that's between Coach Altman and the players. Um a key component that we were missing this year was the point guard uh, court general. You know, we've gotten kind of spoiled with Ridnowers and Pritchards and, you know, all these uh, really excellent point guards in both the Ernie Kent uh, and Dana Altman 
uh, eras. And this year that was missing. Um, Will Richardson w was not the dude. So he's a fantastic uh, basketball player, um, but he uh, he isn't the and you know wasn't the same kind of field general that Oregon has typically had as a point guard. So I I, I think that should. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like. I think there are probably a lot of people who disagree with you on that, you know, that, that are, that are Will Richardson supporters who are out there. Uh, you know, frankly, I'm on the fence on, on that question. I'm not here to mediate it, but like, you know, the, they're sort of, you know, the point guard is the quarterback of the, uh, of the basketball team. You know, it, it is not only, you know, an essential player, it, he sets everybody else up for success. And like, uh, it's, it's difficult to quantitatively measure, you know, yeah, there's assists and point guards, you know, often lead the team in assists, but like, you know, beyond that, it's, it's difficult to quantitatively measure like how much of, you know, it's a subjective question, whether a guy is being the right field general or not. It's what's not a subjective question is points in the paint, right? Like that's the other thing that you expect out of your point guard. And like, you know, Will Richardson has a thousand point career at Oregon. Um, but, you know, between the sort of injuries and other stuff at the end of the game and, you know, I sort of, I, I, in many ways, I think I reverse that stance. I think it's sort of like the rest of the team wasn't there for Will Richardson, you know, like, it, you know, passing is a two man game, right? A pick and roll is a two man game, right? Like it takes two to tango and these sorts of things. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'll put it this way. I, all of the factors that I think led to this as a disappointing season will still will mostly still be in place in 2021 or excuse me, the next season. Uh, and in terms of most of the team is going to be back. Will Richardson may or may not be back. They will have a bunch of very talented dudes, you know, a couple five stars that, you know, is a great transfer. Uh, Dana Altman will still be in place. The, you know, Matthew Knight arena will still be in place. Like all the same factors. And usually when it's the case that all the same factors are in place, I predict the same outcome. I don't feel like I'm predicting the same outcome for next season. Uh, I feel like, you know, this was the exception and not the new normal. Um, do you think I'm being unrealistic when I say that? No, not at all. And, you know, it's difficult to say, you know, because um, uh, all point guards are different. It's, it's difficult to say how much uh, whatever in communication was going on between Altman and the team, uh, you might have been going through, you know, with uh, uh, teammates themselves. And um, it may be that that the communication issues extended to, um, you know, Will, uh, Will's problems with, you know, trying to get it done and be a leader uh, out there on the floor. You, know, you can't be a leader if... Uh, other players aren't going to let you. Would you be happy if he came back instead of going to the NBA next year? Well, I'm kind of with uh, Dana on this. He should do whatever he thinks is um, best for him. Um, yeah, I'd be happy 
with that. And there's uh, there's certainly an argument to be made that uh, he would benefit from um, having a solid year where um, injury or illness or that kind of thing um, uh, would not perhaps detract from his draft stock. I I tend to agree. I mean, just from Will Richardson's first, like if I were Will Richardson, I would come back. I think that I would have the opportunity to really raise my draft stock and I I would have pretty, you know, I I would have a pretty high degree of confidence that I'd play, I'd play a good year under Altman in the 22, 23 season. And that would significantly raise my draft stock versus where it is right now. Um, Let's switch over and talk about the women's. Um, this, uh, you know, they went out to Belmont in the first round of the NCAA. You know, the five seed losing to a twelve seed. You know, upsets happen, but that was, uh, you know, that this was a game where you know it was fairly clear that Oregon had a talent advantage. Um, it was fairly clear what the strategy should be since Belmont is a three point shooting team, uh, and uh, you know, and the game went to double overtime. You know, it required. Uh, Tahina Pow Pow to hit, you know, kind of a miracle three. Like I was shocked that that went in at the end of regulation. Um, and even then, you know, they, you know, they came out like, you know, on fire in the first uh, OT and then, you know, faded. Um, I don't know. Uh, before we get to specifics, you got a more general, like this seemed like this game seemed like a microcosm of the entire year. Uh, do you share that take? Yeah, it did. Um, and what's puzzling about it is, you know, it seemed to me like, um, the women didn't pay attention to the scouting report or, you know, and while I, um, while I will generally give any coach, um, the, the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, I saw way too many uncontested threes in that game to be comfortable. It's like, you know, why don't you why don't you have hands in front of these shooters? Uh, there's there's four or five of them that shoot the three really well, and they were going to do that. So why aren't you in their face? There was way too many uncontested threes for that. But like you say. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a microcosm of the season. There's other games where there was kind of shortfalls in uh, other areas. And, you know, so what do you do with it? Well, I mean, my perception of Kelly Graves is that he's sort of a hands-off CEO type of coach, which I think is perfectly fine. I think it's very, lots of uh, examples of very successful coaches who are that way. It's not meant as a criticism, but like, you know, it means he assembles great players. He figures out, you know, what their chemistry is. He puts them on the floor and he lets them do their thing. And, you know, he, you know, when he made some comments at the end of the year that sort of sounded like, you know, the players weren't executing, you know, there were some people who pounced on him. It was like, how dare you blame the players? You know, ultimately the, the buck stops with you, buddy. You know, I think that's true, but I, I don't know. I watch this team and I'm like, yeah, man, like the players weren't playing well. Like, I, you know, like I, I, you know, I, I come down on the grave side of the, that equation. Like I, you know, I'm watching these teams play and it's just like, 
that didn't look like five star play to me. That didn't look like five star play to me. That didn't look like five star play to me from people who were five stars. And, uh, you know, a certain number of, you know, that, that's always going to happen. And it happens on football too, which I have a little more expertise on, you know, just because a five, a five star doesn't play like, uh, you know, a five star doesn't really mean anything that's going to happen, you know, maybe two thirds of the time, but like, boy, it shouldn't have happened every time. Um, you know, I don't know if that's bad luck, bad evaluations. You know, it could be that, you know, everybody on this team was injured for a long stretch at one point or another. And if like the gelling process is something that doesn't happen until, you know, late January, February, March, then that, you know, then that was sort of delayed by all those injuries. Like, hey, maybe if the season lasted until May, they'd be a real crackerjack team, you know. Um, but, you know, that, that's my take is I sort of like I, I – I have a hard time blaming the coaching, you know, for, for, for this season's outcome. I, I just sort of, you know, I wasn't seeing, I wasn't seeing national championship level play uh, out of the players. Um, And, you know, that's, what's different. Graves isn't different. The coaching staff is essentially identical. So, you know, that, that's the side that I come down on. What do you, what do you, what's your take? Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you there. And it's just, it, it's kind of interesting how the the performance of the men and women kind of mirrored each other in different ways. You know, I've n- never really quite seen something like that. You know, Sapoli was uh, dealing with um, some limping the you know the last two or three games of the regular season, and yeah, you know, I was hoping that that having her healthy going into, you know, tournament season um, would be enough to, you know, provide the, the spark that they needed, uh, especially against, you know, Belmont and inside play. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it, it, it just didn't pan out. And well, in a way, I don't think uh, maybe it's necessarily uh, anybody's fault, you know, it's just kind of the way it was. Yeah, I, I I hear you. The thing that sort of frustrates me is that like Oregon, like you can look at the last link of the chain, which is, you know, the bigs on the inside, you know, Sobley or Prince, um, you know, they're, they're taking bunnies, you know, they, they get under the basket, you know, take a bunny and, and, you know, sometimes it's not going in. Uh, and then you can say like, well, it's them. Uh, or you can say it's the coaching style that relies on that. I, I don't buy either of those theories. Like, you know, that's going to happen to those players sometimes. And that's a very effective strategy that I back up a couple of links in the chain. The thing that like kind of drove me nuts was there's no dribble drives on this team. Like, I don't know what player, maybe in Dia Rogers sometimes, um, but there's no dribble drives on this team. And the three point, you know, the, the perimeter shooting was just like non-existent for like the entire month of March, they couldn't hit a three pointer. And like, of course you go to the low post if those things aren't present for you. You know, that's why I say like, I, I back up on the chain, you know, like it's too short sighted to say, well, they couldn't make the bunnies and that was that and, and and blame the bigs. And I'm like, nah, man, like that there's, it's a whole, it's a complete team. It it is an absence of being a multidimensional offense that I had the biggest problem with this year. Now that's the end of my rant. What, What do you think about my rant? Yeah. Um, I thought it was um, interesting that um, 
that Roberts, you know, who had provided uh, a spark when the the threes weren't hitting or the rest of the team was somehow sagging, was um, largely absent in the Belmont game. I mean, yeah, that was when she she scored six points or something. Yeah. Well, they were going Um, with two bigs for a lot of the game. Like they, they opened up with Sabley and Prince on the floor at the same time, which I hadn't seen in a while. I, I didn't really understand that to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, India's provided that kind of spark in the dribble drive, like you say, and, and it's, um, picked up the games where she was successful with that in, uh, you know, in February and March. And so it's just kind of curious to see that. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we get back, we'll talk about some Diamond Ducks. Okay, you want to talk about baseball or softball? Um, well, let's... Let's get baseball out of the way first. Yeah, after um, commiserating over the men and women's basketball um, seasons, uh, baseball's looking really sharp. Uh, yeah, it's sort of a um, somewhat unexpected surprise. Uh, they, um, uh, uh, they, they swept the series against Utah, although it was looking like uh, a close one on Saturday. It was, you know, after both of the basketball teams went out, I switched over to the baseball game and they, you know, they were behind and then, you know, a- as has happened throughout the season, just the bats exploded. Um, what, you know, if you have a, this potent of an offense, you just never count a, a team out. Um, you know, they, uh, they're, I, I, you know, I think there's only like a handful of games that they this entire season in which they've scored fewer than six runs. Um, it, you know, it's just I, I, I'll start there with the offense. Like this is not baseball that I grew up watching, you know, where teams are, you know, routinely putting up 10 runs in games. Like what is your theory for why Oregon's bats are this hot? Well, it's got to come down to. Uh, coaching and having a coach that knows how to um, teach the the technique and what to hit and how to hit it. But also we've got some, we've got some stellar hitters. We, we have uh, hitters that can um, place the singles nicely. And as we saw this last weekend, you know, we've got some guys that can do the home runs as well the um but if you look at up and down the lineup at um hitting averages uh, they're astounding they're off the charts yeah. I, i've never seen anything like that certainly not from Oregon. well the only times that i'd ever seen you know hitting averages that are like that are small ball teams you know lot, lots of bunts lots of dribblers you know uh this isn't a small ball team. I mean, there's some good base running. I'm not trying to take anything away from that, but just like, now this is a power hitting team. Like they are connecting on a high percentage and they are hitting them deep. Uh, and it's like, wow, I didn't know that you could get nine dudes who could do that in <laughs> college anyway. Yeah. Um, so they, they swept the series against Utah. Uh, next up for the men's baseball team is a, 
uh, uh, for some reason, a singleton trip to Gonzaga uh, on Tuesday, uh, tomorrow, probably when you're listening to this podcast, um, uh, it'll be at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I, I don't really understand it that, you know, the women stuck around. They played a three game series uh, in Utah and then they stuck around in the Valley and played BYU. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. That made sense. Like, hey, we're still here. You know, let's play a game. Uh I don't get it, man. They're home for a three game stand against Utah. They decide to take a Tuesday flyer to the Palouse and play in Spokane. Uh, and then they're back in Eugene, uh, on Friday for a three game stand against USC. Uh, you know, I guess it'll be interesting. Uh, Gonzaga is not a bad team in the rank number 19. Uh, what are you looking forward to in that game? Well, I haven't really quite done, um, the kind of, um, research on Gonzaga that, uh, I'll be doing, you know, um, by tomorrow afternoon. Uh, so I'm, I'm not really sure what to expect from them. Um, I guess I'm looking, um, I, I'm looking to see if, um, these positive trends with Oregon baseball can translate on the road. Yeah. It may be that the only way to schedule a game in between the, Utah and USC series was to, you know, hit the road and, and go up to Spokane, but, uh, it'll be interesting test to see how this Ducks baseball team, um, measures up, uh, on a, a road game. And if they do like they did at Stanford, you know, it, they're, they're not going to have any problems. I don't think. Uh, the game will apparently be televised on something called SWX, which is uh, Eastern Washington slash Coeur d'Alene. Uh, I, there will maybe some streaming options. I'll do some homework on that and hopefully have a, a link, if such a thing exists, uh, posted in the game thread uh, on Tuesday. Um, but like I said, Gonzaga ranked number 19. Uh, they're, they're not a bad team, uh, and it'll be a good warm-up for USC. USC should be a very good test for the Ducks. Oregon's sitting right now at number one. Uh, in the Pac-12, um, uh, you know they've only dropped one game in conference play. Uh, overall, their record is excellent. Um, uh, USC should be a pretty good test, huh? Yeah, yeah, it, it should. And um, you have to kind of uh, pull off the offensive side a little bit. Uh, Oregon had been having some uh, issues with keeping starters going past, you know, two innings or so. And I think that the the starters this last weekend were starting to show a little bit more comfort with, you know, what they were doing and being in the game. You know, the uh, players like Sloan have been relief pitchers. And so it's a different deal uh, when you're a starter and – you know, just kind of a different mindset and that kind of thing. It was uh, it was good to uh, see him get out of a, a couple of jams like he did on uh, Sunday's game. And so I'm going to be looking at the how this starting pitching responds on a road game. Uh, yeah, the pitching has been sort of an interesting story for Oregon baseball, just like how how deep the bullpen is. And also it, it, uh, I'm kind of a radical on the question of when you should pull the pitcher. I, I tend to think the pitcher ought to be pulled like immediately. Uh, if, you know, first sign of trouble. Um, 
I think Oregon probably would have had a, a cleaner escape against BYU on the softball side if they pulled Jordan Dale a little earlier in the in the fifth. But anyway, uh, yeah, that it, it, Oregon's got a pretty deep bullpen uh, in baseball, um, and and, uh, and and yeah, I don't know. You, it seems like you're saying you'd like to see pitchers stay in for longer. Frankly, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with you know a, a, a big rotating bullpen. Do you think I'm nuts? No, not at all, because our um, our bullpen is just as, as outstanding as the offense. I mean, we just have a, some incredible relievers. And um, once they get in the game, uh, they've been shutting uh, opposing offenses down. Um, I think for what I'm saying about the starting pitching is that, you know, it's good for the psyche of a pitcher to – know that that they can battle out of a jam and sure you know there there's a uh, there comes a point where you have to pull the line and and you know take care of the game um so i guess i'm i'm kind of midway in between you know, do, you, do you leave them in for five innings and chew your nails or um do you pull them right away and, you know, how does that affect the psychology of the pitcher in question? Uh, I guess I'm kind of middle of the road on that. So uh, the it's a, a, other than the game in Gonzaga on Tuesday, uh, next week it'll be three games against USC Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, all in PK Park, and they continue the homestand Tuesday and Wednesday against uh, uh, San Francisco. Uh, so basically they're playing every day but Monday. Uh, all, all those games in PK Park, all those games should be on uh, uh, the Pac-12 live stream. Uh, we'll have links for that on the website. Let's switch over to talk about softball. They were up there for a three-game series against Utah. Uh, they dropped the first game, which actually really surprised me to be, to be honest. Um, but then they recovered and won the next two games, you know, pretty handily. Um, and, uh, and then they stuck around for another game in the Valley against BYU today. It actually finished up just before we started recording. Um, Oregon was in control basically the entire game, um, you know, stranded a few, but they were, you know, had a three Oh lead for most of the game. And then, uh, uh, bottom of the fifth, they let, uh, BYU tie it up. Um, but then sure enough, like Oregon sort of done all year long, uh, you know, top of the sixth, they, you know, go off, you know, four run, uh, inning and, uh, and just took control, you know, added a couple extra, you know, by the end of the game too, and just, you know, completely shut down, uh, uh, BYU with the bats. Um, uh, it was a fun game to watch and it was real funny, you know, the, uh, you know, Utah, a team which is proud to be in the Pac-12, there's no team which is more proud to be in the Pac-12 than Utah is. Like, anytime you see a Utah logo, it's always right next to it as a Pac-12 logo. Those guys can't get their Pac-12, you know, TV stream, you know, ready to go. Nobody could watch that. It was only on the radio. But BYU, their hated cousins on the other side of the valley, uh, had the most beautiful high-definition live stream with good commentary. Uh, <laughs> it was real funny. So any, any Utah fans were listening to this you got to step up your game guys um uh so uh, the utah series i assume that you caught uh the uh, how, how they do um well this is uh really the the first season where it's it's pretty much uh, lombardi's team and yeah you know she's um she's obviously you know been um, 
inserting elements uh, every season to get the kind of team that she wants and in uh, the direction that she wants to go. And, you know, she has, uh, you know, a great flow chart for it, having been a player at Oklahoma and then a coach at Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's uh, always been uh, very solid and the top of the standings. So, um, so she's been able to uh, attract the kind of players that that we're seeing. You know, we uh, the the women have some fantastic uh, pitchers, and um, now they have bats to back it up. And boy, they're they're just a really solid team. Uh, yeah, I I really think the are in the distance. Um, I, I'm I I hope I'm not getting too far ahead of ourselves, but I'm really looking forward to watching this team in the World Series. I'm sure that they're headed there. Uh, the the BYU game was you know it was interesting to watch. I mean they were, you know BYU kept making errors, but it's like they were making errors because Oregon was putting the ball in a place where it's really tough to field, you know, like they weren't, they weren't putting the ball over the fence they actually really seemed to struggle hitting with power, but they were consistently like hammering it into the hole uh, or, you know, bouncing it off the, the tip of the pitcher's glove. Just like, like the level of bat control that they had against BYU's pitchers was, uh, was just excellent um and mm-hmm. uh yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to them getting back to pac 12 play which they will do this weekend they have a three-game homestand against cal um they're actually pretty much exactly against the baseball team like both teams are going to be in eugene both teams are going to be playing at, at essentially the same time so like you can't even do the double header thing like you know run over from pk park to jane sanders which i I, I don't like that. I don't know whose who's bright idea that was. But anyway, if you uh, uh, are streaming them from home, you should be able to stream all three of the softball games and all three of the baseball games. And so therefore, uh, you could get two monitors up and be watching them both simultaneously. I think actually that's what I'm going to be doing uh, while I'm writing my next football. Yeah, I think I, I will uh, too. Yeah, I don't want to miss it. I, I I got to say watching baseball or softball while I am doing the video editing for one of my football articles is like quickly becoming one of my favorite things to do. Uh, like it, it's just like the perfect, like I, I can be looking at one screen while I'm doing the foot, you know, the, the video editing and that's just enough time for something to happen in baseball or softball. Cause you know, there are breaks <laughs> in between the excitement. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, three game homestand. And then uh, next week they're off to Los Angeles, please UCLA. Let's take a break and uh, then get to the mailbag. All right, we are up for the always exciting uh, mailbag segment uh, in which we look at what ATQ readers have for us. You excited? Uh, yeah, we'll see. I think I, I saw lots of questions for you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. That's a, I like the attitude. Uh, let's see. Uh, is there a frisbee team? Uh, yeah, there's a club sport frisbee team. It's not bad. Let's see. Uh, KDean75 uh, wants to know what, which is the best Godspeed You Black Emperor album? Uh, the, the second one, of course. <laughs> it's obvious. The, uh, you know, uh, Razor Skinny Fists, uh, like Antennas to Heaven. Uh, so much better than later work. Um, let's see. Uh, Should have been a duck. Uh, wants to know how happy I am that Bob Gregory will only be an analyst. Um, I, 
very happy, I guess. Like I, I would not want him to be uh, recruiting or developing inside linebackers because he was terrible at that at Washington. Um, but I mean, don't forget, like the guy, the guy's been all over, including at Oregon for several years as the DBs coach. In fact, he overlaps with another future Washington coach, Chris Peterson, who was the wide receivers coach at the same time, like 95 to 2000. Um, it's pretty incestuous here on the West coast in terms of like coaches going to, you know, all your rivals. You, you can't sort of you know, be a coach and maintain that sort of rivalry attitude it just doesn't work. Like, you know, you can't hate a team that's going to employ you in a couple of years and your closet is going to be filled with their colors. Um, you know, Bob Gregory, uh, 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 he was the DC cow for a while. Um, he, he went to, uh, uh, Boise state. Um, uh, you know, the guy's been all over. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, before I go on, you got any thoughts on this one? Well, um, when you're talking about, uh, coaches, like you've just described, they've been all over, yeah, that sounds to me like uh, a coach that's probably in the ideal position uh, to be an analyst because he you've been in in all those coaching systems and those schemes and you know, likely have something valuable to contribute. Yeah, it's interesting when we were. I totally agree. Um, I, I, well, I got two more thoughts. One is you see this with sec programs, right? Like that they, uh, they have extra money invested into their programs and what they do with it is they hire because you can have, I believe an unlimited number of analysts. Now there's strict, you know, rules, but you know, they can't perform on field coaching cause you're limited only 10 of those. And you know, they can't be doing, yeah, certain other functions that otherwise coaches do, but in terms of like breaking down film, writing, you know, analysis and so forth, you know, that's what Alabama and Georgia, et cetera, do is they just have an army of these dudes and like, and not kids, you know, not, not like GAs, like, you know, they're serious coaches, like high level coaches who've been all over and, you know, have those sorts of insights. And like, you know, I pretend to do that stuff, uh, in my film analysis articles. And I am often shocked that I come away with insights that, that, uh, you know, I, that I publish in my articles that are, you know, predict how teams are going to do. I can't even imagine, you know, how somebody with, you know, that level of experience would be able to improve upon my process. Um, uh, you know, just leaps and bounds, I'm sure. Um, the, the other thing, uh, that I'll note is that, uh, uh, one, one of our friends, uh, here at ATQ is Gaby Lucas from, uh, the UW dog pounder, our sister site, um, on the SB nation network. And, uh, you know, we were, um, when Bob Gregory back last off season, we were talking to her about Bob Gregory's promotion to defensive coordinator and she was hemming and hawing about how everybody hates him, but that maybe it might work out. Um, because while, you know, he was bad as a recruiter and as a developer and I, you know, I sort of jumped in and made fun of him. was like, you know, those are the only things that he does. Right. Uh, that, he could actually be a decent DC because the system was in place. And I actually a hundred percent agreed and was what I was going to say. Uh, and she took the words out of my mouth is like, I, I actually think the guy, it, it probably looks like interpersonal communication skills, the sort of the stumbling block, which like you have to have as a position coach, right? Like you have to be able to train your players. You have to be able to convince them to come to your university. And he was falling down on the job and that sort of stuff. That's not what you're doing in the, you know, the film analysis room, you know, you're doing the like cerebral football work at which it looks like, 
like Bob Gregory's not bad. Like, in fact, his defense, like there, I believe was the number one or number two, maybe number three pass defense in the nation, you know, in, in 2021. And that was on a bad team where the offense was not doing them any favors. Like the, the idea that like Bob Gregory is just, you know, um, across the board terrible at football is i don't think true at all um the second part of should have been next question is are there any other uw rejects that you would want on uh the ducks coaching staff hmm uh yeah um the the one that jumps to mind is jordan pow pow um who i don't believe is related to tahina pow pow maybe i'm wrong about that um we're all uh, sort of related right uh he was the tight ends coach um, uh, under Chris Peterson for a long time. He, uh, I thought that uh, UW's tight ends were the best part of their offense uh, during that time. Uh, I thought that Jordan Papa did a great job developing them. He was the first guy that Jimmy Lake fired um, and instead promoted, you know, a, a buddy of his, you know, and a yes man, probably Durham Cato. Uh, I don't think the tight ends played as well under Cato. Uh, Jordan Papa got picked up by a different Pac-12 school. I'm forgetting which right now, but I think their tight ends played fairly well. Um, Oregon's uh, tight ends coach, I haven't gotten to film study on him yet, is Drew Merringer. Uh, There's some rumors that he was a source of problems at Texas, although I've also seen reports that those rumors are are nonsense and that that was the scapegoating thing. So I don't know yet. I haven't gotten to that film, but like if if it is the case the manager doesn't work out, they could pick up, you know, pow, pow, uh, you know, uh, on the principle that if Jimmy Lake fired him, he must be a good coach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would make me pretty happy. Uh, let's see what else we got. We got some, sp- uh, Oh, uh, Marcus Marietta is going to Atlanta. All right. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I see we have a lot of fans who are not familiar with the term Georgia sports. Uh, let's see. Marcus Mariota in red. I'm not sure I'm going to be used to that. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I keep wondering if um, Mariota is going to find himself um, on a team and a coaching staff that can really uh, use him properly. And I always think about uh, Jim Plunkett for the Raiders, you know, where he won the Heisman and then was uh, dead weight for eight or nine years or something like that and landed it at the Raiders. And then the dude was golden and now he's a legend. Uh, I kind of wonder if um, maybe uh, at some point we'll see some parallels with that. Um, and if that doesn't happen in Atlanta, we probably won't. Hmm. <clears throat> Uh, let's see. Uh, looks like our last question is from duck until death. Just cancel cable. Won't sign up for it again until August. My wife and I are lo- loving the righteous gemstones. That's on HBO. How is it that you're watching it? If you cancel cable anyway, wants to know what they should watch next. You got any thoughts about this one? Oh no, I, I don't even watch TV at, at all. The, the oh. only reason I oh, you're one uh, of got those down people, streaming huh? was for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't watched TV or anything in about seven and a half years. No, I, I watch uh, I watch comedy stuff and anime. Hmm. 
Well, you've told me a lot about yourself in, in a couple of words. Uh, let's see. If you like The Righteous Gensons, a, a show that has sort of a similar ability that I enjoyed, which apparently most people didn't, was Vice Principals. Um, it's sort of a, a Walton Goggins is on both the... Uh, let's see. If you're also into HBO, uh, the, the comedy show on HBO that I'm really enjoying right now is called Black Lady Sketch Show, um, which is exactly what the title says. Uh, it's just hysterical. Um, the, and all the actresses on it are super talented. Um, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, anything else you want to cover? Uh, I don't think so. We've got a um, big weekend weekend coming up now that um, basketball is over and we've got some pretty good teams to watch this weekend. The weather's not bad either. You know, anybody who's in Oregon or Gene, go to the games. Hey, if you're in Portland or Medford or Eastern Oregon, go to the games, man. Like uh, there's only so much baseball that you get in your life. And, uh, and, and the both baseball and softball teams are looking pretty good right now. So hopefully I'll see the stadium. Uh, All right. It's going to do it for this week. Take care, everybody.